0: Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. In this podcast, I give my scene-by-scene analysis of the Warner Brothers movies that are part of the DC Films Justice League universe. Currently, I've been working my way through Batman v Superman, and I hope to finish up BVS and at least touch on Man of Steel a bit before we get to Suicide Squad in August. I think these movies are deep and compelling, and I love talking about them with other fans. In this episode, I'm going to cover Scene 8, which is Bruce and Alfred's chat following the branding scene, and Scene 9, which is Clark cooking and watching the news report about Batman's branding spree. In the last episode, I talked about how suspenseful and creepy Scene 7 was, so Scene 8 does a nice job pulling out of that heaviness. It lets us breathe a little bit while still pushing the plot forward, particularly Bruce's investigation. The setting of scene 8 is the Bat Cave. This is a new take on the Bat Cave, and one of my favorite things about it is that many of the platforms, desks, and just a lot of stuff in general in the Bat Cave is suspended from the ceiling. This seems very cleverly Bat inspired. I also like how this suspension approach allows them to be set underground within the cave, but also to have top notch equipment and functional rooms and workplaces. We'll get to explore the Bat Cave a bit more in future scenes. With regard to character, scene 8 opens up with Bruce as Bruce in a well-tailored suit, which is an interesting juxtaposition with the brutality that we just saw being carried out. It's almost hard to believe that this is the same guy if we didn't already have a long history of understanding the Batman Bruce character. And once we follow Bruce a bit longer in the movie, we can see that he does still have the darkness inside of him, even as Bruce. It's just beneath the surface. This is Bruce, at least 18 months since he committed fully to his dark path of revenge and hatred toward Superman, failing to cope with his feelings of powerlessness, and showing that at his core he is distrustful of the world, assuming the worst and trying to force it to make sense. In this scene, we learn a lot more about Alfred Pennyworth, and he pretty quickly brings humor to the mix as he tests the Batsuit voice modulator. This is the first clear attempt at humor in the movie, and I think it works well. And it's definitely well placed, pulling us out of the darkness from the branding scene. In a movie that some people criticize for being too serious, I agree that it's serious but in a way that I appreciate, and it did have its spots for humor. Alfred brings some sarcastic humor in several future scenes, Perry White delivers some funny lines in the Daily Planet scenes, and we also get a sight gag with the kryptonite truck backing up for delivery, Lex's voice cracks when he assumes command of the scout ship and there's a nice moment between Batman and Martha Kent that got a solid laugh every showing that I went to, probably because it comes perfectly after a super intense Batman fight scene. But back to scene 8 in the Batcave, Alfred not only lightens the mood, but I think one of his most important roles in the movie is that he humanizes Bruce, and it helps us to see that although Bruce has gone to a dark place, given his branding and his fear-fueled anger, the audience knows that If Alfred is still on Bruce's side, then Bruce must still be redeemable. In a note for later, if you're tracking how Bruce and Lex are actually fairly similar to one another through the first two acts of the movie, you might want to pay attention to Bruce's humanizing character Alfred, which is in contrast to Lex, and Lex's only excuse for a friend, Mercy, is someone that he mercilessly sends to her death in the Capitol. This indicates that Lex is selfish and irredeemable, whereas Bruce is redeemable, even though for a while he's caught up in a similar hatred of Superman. Bruce and Alfred's dialogue together shows how deep their relationship is, and we already saw Alfred in scene one when Bruce was a boy, so we know they go way back. The way they rib each other kind of reminds me at times of an old married couple, and I like this sort of partnership better actually than the typical Alfred as a stand-in father dynamic. Some people might be surprised to have an Alfred who is working on the Bat Tech and who is a partner for Batman, rather than an honest-to-goodness butler. But there's actually a long history in the comic books of Alfred being a former military serviceman, a former special operative, or a Wayne bodyguard who poses as a butler, rather than Alfred being a real butler. I think it's pretty cool to see this other version of Alfred finally make it to the big screen. Some comments on plot... We see Alfred working on a new layer of armor for the bat Suit, which obviously becomes important later and which we, the audience, already recognize because of the promotional materials. We know it's going to be the Bat Suit when he's taking on Superman. We find out that Bruce's interrogation in the previous scene was to try to gather information on Knaizev, who in turn is connected to the white Portuguese. Bruce mentions that Knaizev is involved in weapons and human trafficking through the port of Gotham. So that links us up to the previous scene, which was about human trafficking, and that links it to scene four in Africa, which dealt with weapons. And this all eventually leads to Lex. Bruce also mentions that the reason for his investigations is because he's concerned about a dirty bomb coming into Gotham. We find out later that this is just his cover for Alfred's benefit. The real focus of Bruce's detective work is kryptonite. Alfred confronts Bruce with the branding, and asks if these are new rules. By referring to a new set of rules, it implies that Batman was operating under some previous set of rules. Although it's not explicit, I tend to believe that Batman previously had a no-killing rule, and maybe a no-guns rule. I don't know, though, if those rules were in place until just now, or maybe they were in place for the first 10 years of his career as Batman, and he's been gradually shifting or loosening his rules. Zack Snyder said that, in his mind, Robin was killed about 10 years earlier, so that puts it 10 years into Batman's career. It could be that Bruce's descent started with Robin and reached a new phase with Superman. Maybe in future movies we'll get more details about his set of rules, because I know a lot of hardcore Batman fans are very concerned about this. For me, it's very clear that Batman is in a dark place throughout BVS until his redemption at the end. And so, I accept the indirect killings, or the manslaughter as Snyder described it. And I even accept maybe some direct killing as part of this interpretation of the character, and a marker of the fact that Batman v Superman is his lowest point in a very painful existence. And if you're a person who wants to try to keep track of Batman's indirect killings, um, then you could look back at the last scene and see the branding, and in the next scene, we will find out that that's sort of a death sentence Um, by being branded the person might be killed in prison, but that's not a direct killing by Bruce or a direct killing by Batman. That would be an indirect killing where Batman puts the brand, but he leaves it to other people to actually do the killing. Continuing on, Bruce says, We've always been criminals. Nothing's changed. Alfred disagrees. Oh, yes, it has, sir. Everything's changed. Men fall from the sky. The gods hurl thunderbolts. Innocents die. That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. These lines from Alfred are obviously very important, and Snyder's camera placement, plus Jeremy Irons' delivery, make them impossible to miss. Alfred, who has known Bruce from childhood and knows him better than anyone, is making it clear that Batman is losing his grip and is on a dark path, something different than his previous work of Batman. Of course, Batman has always been dark, a figure of the night, but Alfred is saying that Batman has previously been on the side of good, but he recognizes that the shift in Bruce's mindset since the Battle of Metropolis has turned away from goodness and is on its path toward cruelty. And a lot of the audience thinks that it was the destruction and loss of life in Metropolis that set off Bruce's anger. And while I think that's part of it, I would say that it was even more so Bruce coming face to face with the power of Superman, and that Superman's existence amplified the doubts and inadequacies that Bruce was already trying to deal with. Bruce wants to reaffirm his power by taking down Superman, and this fixation is turning him toward cruelty. In the first part of Alfred's comments, he cues us into a couple overarching motifs. First, he says that men fall from the sky. This explicitly connects to the idea of the fall, which comes up several times in the movie including right away in the narration of scene one and Chris Terrio in a Wall Street Journal interview said that most of Western literature is an attempt to deal with man's fall their separation from God and their clamoring to get back onto the pedestal where they they imagine they should be. Second Alfred uses the word gods in reference to Superman and Zod this plugs into the God theme that flows throughout the entire movie I think Lex's character arc is the most directly linked with the idea of God, in that Lex hates God and wants to reveal the very idea of God as a fraud. But here, Alfred is also positioning Bruce's character arc in relation to God. As noted by Derby Kid on Twitter, Lex abandoned his faith after his abuse and becoming an orphan. Bruce, who also became an orphan, was in danger of losing his faith, but he ultimately retained it which makes the endpoints of these two characters very different. I also think that Alfred's use of the word men is not an accident. He says men fall from the sky and men turn cruel. There are many points in the movie where men or man is used, and at first it just seems like a general sense of the word, man meaning human beings. But I think this movie is actually a commentary on masculinity and the way men deal with power and powerlessness, as opposed to how women might deal with it. With Wonder Woman, for example, it's not just that she has rejected the horrors of humanity for the last century, she has actually rejected men, as in males. I think we'll see more of this idea in the Wonder Woman movie next year, as Wonder Woman's mythology and the Amazons are tied up with femininity and masculinity. Now just one last thing about scene 8. I thought it was cool to see another parallel between Bruce and Lex. We saw here that Bruce and Alfred have collected a lot of information on Superman. Later, we'll see a similar thing with Lex gathering all kinds of information about several metahumans. We eventually learn that Lex did have info on Superman, having discovered his secret identity, perhaps even before the movie started. But Lex allows Bruce to steal his files on the other future Justice Leaguers, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. But overall, Lex and Bruce are both non-metahumans, who gather data and do research to try to maintain some sort of upper hand on the metahumans. Moving on to Scene 9 this is just a short interstitial with Clark seeing a news broadcast about the bat branding. I thought it was nice that he finally got to do the cooking that he had hoped to do in Scene 6. Looking forward, Scene 9 is the first of several times that we see Clark taking in some information via the media. Here it's about the brutality of Batman, In the future, it will involve more Bat vigilanteism, but also the coverage and debates about Superman and the Capitol tragedy. And in each of the times where Clark is watching the media, I think it's important for us, the audience, to just empathize with Clark and think about how he would interpret or how he would feel seeing the information that he's seen. A small piece of information delivered in this scene is that the Bat brand is reportedly a death sentence for the criminals in prison. This makes Batman effectively an executioner because he can indirectly cause the death of criminals by deciding to give them the brand. Clark cannot accept this type of dark justice because he ultimately looks for the good in humanity and trusts that their good will come around, whereas Batman tends to be skeptical and prepares for the worst. Clark is already under scrutiny for his actions and he is trying to hold himself to high standards. The Batman's actions clearly violate those standards. And by the way, Scott from the Suicide Squad cast has a fan theory that Lex may have orchestrated the prison killings of those who were branded, because Lex knew that it would hit the headlines and offend Clark. So maybe Lex is already stirring the pot of conflict between the two heroes. However, my other favorite podcast, Man of Steel Answers, would disagree with this, because at this point in the movie, Lex was working on plan number one, turning public sentiment against Superman and using the kryptonite to subjugate Superman through official government action. It is only after plan number one hits a roadblock that Lex enacts plan number two, which is using Batman to expose Superman's impurity or limited power. The branding also connects back to scene one where the Waynes had been watching the Mark of Zorro. Zorro is a character who served as a partial inspiration for Batman back in 1939. And Zorro did mark his criminals with a Z, similar to how Batman is now branding people. It's interesting to note that Batman was not called Batman by the newscaster, but the Gotham Bat. And to address a minor point of criticism, some have said that it's unnecessary for Henry Cavill to be shirtless in Scene 9. But the way I look at it, Cavill trains very hard for this role, and I think it kind of makes sense to show it off briefly. If you put that much effort in, you can get a little bit of that credit. And also, if Zack Snyder is thinking about BVS similar to the way that he thought about Man of Steel, Snyder said that he wants to show Henry shirtless because it proves to the audience that his physique when he's in the Superman suit is actually real and not artificial. That wraps it up for scene 9. Next, we officially meet Lex Luthor, though his machinations have already been present in the last few scenes. Before I close this episode, though, I wanted to take just a moment to mention some quick tidbits about scenes that I've already covered. But these are things that I missed, I just forgot to mention, or that other people have pointed out about scenes 1 through 7. First, in the Wayne's murder, I should have said that I suspect the whispered Martha line is an homage to Citizen Kane, because that classic also had a close-up on the lips when Kane said Rosebud with his dying breath. And Rosebud became central to the plot later on, just like Martha did in BVS. I don't think I said this explicitly in my first episode, but obviously scene one opens up the movie on a funeral, and then at the very end of the movie we close things down on a funeral again. I think these funeral bookends are most important for Bruce because they really mark the troubled part of his life, the beautiful lie where he thought he was finding purpose and redemption through the Batman, but it's actually only after Superman's death that he has really come to terms with everything and he will find true purpose in leading the Justice League and seeing the good in people again. Men are still good. He didn't believe men are still good between the two funerals, but by the end of the movie he recognizes it inspired by Superman, who always wanted to see the good in mankind, even when mankind was being pretty horrible to him. Also in scene one, there was a great shot where the camera is up high and pans as young Bruce runs into the woods, leading us into an upside-down shot. To me, this showed that Bruce's world had been turned upside down by the death of his parents, and it also sets us, the audience, at dis-ease, helping us to connect with what Bruce is feeling. There is also a close-up on young Bruce's face during the murder when he yells right as his parents are shot. The framing of this shot is almost identical to older Bruce's yell when the Wayne building collapses. This is a visual cue that the Metropolis tragedy is bringing out the exact same emotions in Bruce as he felt when his parents fell on the Gotham Street. Also the transition from scene 1 to scene 2 was great because scene 1 closed with young Bruce being pulled up into the light of Bruce's dream, the beautiful lie of the goodness of the efforts as Batman, and then scene two immediately begins with Bruce descending from the sky and the light down with his helicopter. As I've said before, I think going up and down are a motif in this movie and sometimes are thematically connected to heaven and hell. In scene two then, Bruce is coming down from his beautiful lie and is realizing that his work as Batman up to that point had not really been worth as much as he thought. In the apartment scene, Violent Vegan on YouTube pointed out a nice observation, which was that Lois and Clark both going into the bathtub is a foreshadowing of the climax of the movie when they both have to save each other in the water with the kryptonite spear. I also noticed that BVS shifted towards smoother camera moves and did not use as much shaky cam or the snap zooms during the flying scenes as were in Man of Steel. However, there was a snap zoom in the Metropolis attack in scene 2, zooming onto Zod and Superman as they're falling back to Earth. I think this use of the snap zoom is definitely a callback to Man of Steel, because we're basically seeing events from Man of Steel. I liked the snap zooms in some of the shaky cam in Man of Steel, because it made it feel like a real camera trying to capture a real person or a real ship flying through the city. And the rawness of the shakier cam matched with Superman's initial arrival on the scene, kind of a documentary style of that arrival. But now that Superman is more established and he's more in control of his powers, I think it makes sense to go to cleaner camera work. All right, shout-outs to Man of Steel Answers and the Suicide Squadcast, and thank you for listening. Leave your thoughts in the comments.